1: Hello everybody and welcome to episode three hundred and seven of the Packaday Podcast. My name is Andy Herman. Of course, I am a writer for Cheesehead TV. You can follow me on Twitter at Scottnie Sports and I have a cool topic for you today. So I've had this idea for a while. I was actually planning on doing a two-part episode for those of you who listened in yesterday. uh, I was doing yesterday's episode, today's episode, and was hoping to do a two-part episode uh, with the AFC yesterday, the NFC Today, covering the best, the worst, and the most intriguing move for every team across the NFL Of course, yesterday we were hit with the tragic news of Bart Starr's passing, and uh, I didn't want to do anything with yesterday's episode outside of that. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that, certainly go back and do so. Uh, But I I didn't feel like it was appropriate for me to to go over the best and worst moves in the AFC, uh, of course, on the day uh, that unfortunately Bart Starr passed away. So uh, I've been wanting to do this for a while. I'm actually not going to be on again for a couple weeks, and I figured, you know what, let's just do it. Let's pump through it. So today we're going to be Going through all 32 teams across the National Football League, and I'm going to be going over my favorite, my least favorite, and my most intriguing move for every team this past offseason. So, if for some reason you've been under a rock and you want to know what's been going on across the league, I have got you covered today. I'm going to tell you the good things that each team did, the bad things that each team did, and again, something that's uh, maybe at least at minimum going to pique everyone's interest. So, let's get started right away. I'm going to start with the AFC East. I'm going to work my way all the way through the NFC West. I'll of course cover the Packers in this as well, but let's jump in and get started right away. So first of all, of course, we have to start with the New England Patriots, the Super Bowl champs, and the best, worst, and most intriguing move of the offseason, you could just say for them, who cares? Because we'll see them in, you know, at least the AFC Championship, and then we'll figure things out from there. <laughs> but in all seriousness, uh, the move that actually really intrigued me the most for the Patriots was picking up Chase Winovich in the third round. And, you know, of all the things that, uh, you know, they've done, all the moves that they've made, uh, it's always tough to really gauge, uh, you know, what New England. Is going to do with all of these players, but Chase Winovich is just such a New England move. Getting a, a outside pass rusher, somebody who has a lot of versatility and uh, just has a non-stop motor. I love Chase Winovich. I loved him coming out. I thought he was a high second round pick-ish. Uh, the fact that they got him in the third round I thought was a really nice pick. So that was actually my favorite move of the offseason for them. My least favorite move isn't really anything that they had any control over, but that's just losing Gronk to retirement. And you know, Gronk's been in and out of the the lineup and he's been banged up and not totally himself uh, for a little bit now, but when he's been on the field, he's still been a matchup nightmare for opposing defenses. So uh, them losing Gronk, they just picked up Benjamin Watson and they got him out of retirement and now he has a suspension on his hands. So uh, they have some work to do. They also picked up Austin Safarian Jenkins. Uh, so they've got some work to do. They've got some players that maybe they can plug in there, but they certainly don't have a Gronk on their hands and that's something that they're going to have to certainly overcome going forward. And my my most intriguing move for the Patriots was drafting Nikhil Harry in the first round. Harry's somebody that I've had my eye on for a really long time. I have concerns over his ability to separate, but uh, this is just, again, another classic New England pick where they're focusing on the upside, focusing on what he can bring to the table. I think he's going to be a matchup nightmare in the red zone. And if all of a sudden he figures out route running and how to separate, uh, look out. And and I kind of have a feeling that we're going to look back at Nikhil Harry and and look back at his college tape and be like, how did we not see this coming? He he has the ability to be a star in this league. And I think all of the... Uh, you know, all of the concerns that all of the the scouts and, and you know, what Aaron Nagler, of course, calls the, uh, you know, draft industrial complex or draft Twitter, whatever you want to call it. Uh, All the concerns about Nikhil Harry, I think, are legitimate. And, uh, you know, that's why maybe it wasn't my favorite pick of theirs or favorite move this offseason. But uh, he's got a lot of talent and I'm intrigued on how he's going to work with Tom Brady in that offense. The New York Jets. Quinn and Williams first of all favorite move you know top player in the draft or at least top two player in the draft they get him at number three uh, this was a no-brainer pick I think he's gonna fit in phenomenally with that defense and just come in and be a no doubt about it star player from day one uh, you always hate to label a, a rookie like that but man you just watch him on tape and he's got everything that you want from an interior defensive player you know he's probably never going to be that Aaron Donald type interior rusher because nobody is uh, but he's just gonna be a really strong player for a very long time, and that was a fantastic pick for the Jets. My least favorite move is just everything about this front office head coach situation that now has Adam Gaze overseeing a little bit of everything. There's already been way too much drama for the, for one offseason for this team. Uh, and I also feel like they overpaid Henry Anderson. They overpaid ridiculously for Le'Veon Bell at a running back position that you shouldn't be overpaying for. They overpaid for Josh Bellamy, Jameson Crowder, CJ Mosley. They traded for an aging Kelechi Osemele. Like, just all of of these things put together. It's just a nightmare offseason. And you know what? Some of those moves uh, might actually end up being okay. And, you know, a lot of players in there, Le'Veon Bell, Henry Anderson, Jameson Crowder, CJ Mosley, they're good players, uh, even Kelechi Osemele. But uh, they're just on either the wrong, you know, aspect of their career, the wrong stage of their career, uh, or they just overpaid for them. And, and maybe they had to do that to bring them to New York and what's been a little bit of a dumpster fire of a franchise lately. But uh, you would have hoped for a little bit better and just all. All the drama and and some of the questionable moves there is my least favorite part of the offseason for them. My most intriguing aspect is just, can Sam Darnold survive all of this? He showed flashes a season ago. I still think he has you know everything that he needs to be successful in this league, except maybe the supporting cast and uh, a team and a franchise that's going to be able to support him going forward. And it's so sad sometimes that you see these super uber talented prospects just go to a situation where it's near impossible to succeed. And I'm just hoping that that's not the case for Sam Darnold. Moving on to the Miami Dolphins, uh, my favorite part of their offseason has certainly been trading for Josh Rosen, and I was a huge, huge fan of Josh Josh Rosen coming out of the draft last year. I th- I thought he showed signs this past season, uh, but of course he was just in in a no win situation. That team was horribly coached, you know, maybe not horribly put together, but they just didn't have uh, the pieces that they needed to be successful uh, in Arizona, and and he just had a brutal offseason to have him, you know, basically. Be told he's the guy. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You know, you show up to uh, you know mini camps and they tell you you're the guy, and then they trade you. They draft another quarterback and they don't even talk to him about it. Is ridiculous. Uh, but I, I think the Dolphins really got a really nice high upside quarterback for a, a late second round pick. So great job on them, and, and certainly Josh Rosen is somebody that I'm going to be cheering on going forward. On the flip side, I thought Miami did a really poor job of addressing their needs on defense. You know, they've got two top end type players in Xavier Howard and Micah Fitzpatrick uh, that I really, really like, but they traded away Robert Quinn, Cameron Wake left. They they tried to address the defense a little bit by picking up Christian Wilkins, of course, in the first round, but you know, he's more of a a solid, really good interior type of player, but he's probably never going to be that all pro flashy style, you know, 10 to 12 sack a year guy. He's just a really, good football player. So uh, I'm just questioning exactly how well this defense is going to be put together. And to be fair, I think the Miami Dolphins realize that this isn't going to be their year and they're starting to build towards the future a little bit, but I just would have liked to see them address the defense a little bit better overall. Um, And I didn't think they did that. And the most intriguing is Josh Rosen. And I'm not going to do that a ton where my favorite is the most intriguing, but with Josh Rosen, that's definitely the case. And I'm certainly really excited to see what he's going to be able to do for them going forward. Buffalo Bills... My favorite part of this entire offseason for the Bills has been how they've systematically upgraded the offensive line. Uh, picking up Ty Nishiki, Quentin Spain, Mitch Morse, Cody Ford, uh, they've really addressed that offensive line up and down. I really love the Cody Ford pick in the second round. You know, they probably paid a little bit more for Mitch Morse than I, I would have liked, but uh, overall they, they massively needed a better rotation or just a better group of players on the offensive line. They didn't have depth. They, they didn't have much of anything. Uh, so I I thought they went and and just immediately addressed that. Josh Allen needs a strong offensive line in front of him. You want a a young quarterback to succeed with the type of talent he has, build an offensive line in front of him. And that's what they did. And I think that's going to pay off big for the Bills. On the flip side, I thought they overpaid a little bit for Cole Beasley and John Brown at the receiver position. This is nitpicking a little bit because I think they get that gives them two type of receivers that they really needed. They get the slot receiver in Beasley. They get the speed receiver in John Brown. Talk about a perfect match in John Brown and uh, Josh Allen. You know, Josh Allen's a deep ball specialist. John Brown can, you know, certainly use his speed to go get some of those deep balls as well. So uh, it's nitpicking a little bit. I actually just really like this offseason in general for the Bills. I really like what they did. So uh, it's not a a super awful, um, you know, overpay. And and sometimes in Buffalo, you do need to overpay to get players to come your way. So not brutal, but I I did think they overspent a little bit for Beasley and Brown. And then my most intriguing aspect is I just want to see what Ed Oliver is going to be able to do in an NFL defense. So uh, I love Ed Oliver. I think he's going to be a beast and uh, I'm just really excited to see what he's going to bring to that defense. For the Cleveland Browns, I thought this was a really interesting offseason for them. Of course, they go get in, you know, Odell Beckham. um, They pick up uh, you know, Hunt from Kansas City. And, you know, I, it's, this was really a, a huge opportunity for them because they, they're not in a bad spot from a salary cap standpoint. You know, they've got, you know, Baker Mayfield, uh, you know, on a cheap deal still. So this is really an interesting offseason for them. But my favorite thing that they did of everything was just bringing in Freddie Kitchens as head coach. I thought he did such a nice job when he, you know, took over as offensive coordinator last year when they changed coaches. And uh, I just thought that he had a natural rapport with. Baker Mayfield in that offense. I thought he was really creative in his play calls. And I just thought they had something really, really great there. And I love the fact that they brought him back to be the head coach of that franchise. My least favorite move might be surprising, and maybe this is a little hot takey, but my least favorite move was actually the Odell Beckham trade. First of all, I thought they gave up uh, you know, a decent amount of capital. I really liked Jabril Peppers. I didn't think that Greg Williams ever really used him the right way, but I really still think that he has a spot in this league to be a high-end player. Kevin Zeitler was one of their best offensive linemen. And then you give up picks 17 and 95, a first and third rounder. Uh In overall, you get Odell Beckham, of course, and Olivier Vernon. But here here's why this is a little bit interesting to me this is still probably a team that is still in the building stages and, and having a first and third round pick to again, get some cheap guys on contract, you know, on cheap contracts, um, you know, I think that that was probably the right way to go. You know, it's so tough to to really, you know, bash them getting a player of the caliber of Odell Beckham and adding them into an offense and a receiver core of Odell Landry and Callaway because they're going to be all so good together. And, and Baker Mayfield now has every weapon that he needs to be successful. But the biggest reason that I question this trade is this team's in a really, really good spot. They have a, a ton of young talent on cheap contracts and a, a really great chemistry and I just wonder what Odell Beckham's gonna to bring to the table from a chemistry standpoint. If they're confident that his head's in the right place and that he's gonna be everything that they want him to be and he's not gonna be, uh, you know, a guy that's, um, you know, causing problems in the locker room and things of that nature. Then absolutely, I'm good with this trade, but I still think you have a young, impressionable team, and I'm just not sure that this is the right person at the right time to bring into this locker room. But but time will tell. I don't hate it by any stretch of the imagination. I'm excited by it. I'm just not sure it's necessarily what I would have done. And again, just giving up Zeitler and some of those those top picks and, and Jabril Peppers um, is is again some of the concern as well. I do like them getting Olivier Vernon for the defensive line, um, so that that's intriguing to me. But just a a trade to keep an eye on going forward, if nothing else, uh, and then the the most intriguing part of all of this is just how good can this offensive be with Freddie Kitchens, Baker Mayfield, Nick Chubb, Duke Johnson, Kareem Hunt, Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, Antonio Calloway, David Joku. This is a fantastic offense on paper, and I look for Baker Mayfield to take even a bigger jump this year, especially with those weapons. So, super intrigued by this franchise and uh, really excited where they're going to go. And certainly, you know, it's worth keeping an eye on just how that Odell Beckham trade works out for them, you know, both this year and, and for the long term. Cincinnati Bengals up next. My favorite part of their offseason, picking Jonah Williams round one. Uh, this is a team that's had a really tough time, uh, you know, drafting tackles, you know, not too long ago. They just drafted Jake Fisher and uh, Cedric Abuehi, who both are now no longer with the team. Um, you know, they they haven't been able to solidify that tackle spot, and I think they've now done that with Jonah Williams. On the flip side, paying Bobby Hart and John Miller, uh, two really mediocre offensive linemen, some fairly big deals, uh, was a super questionable move to me. And now they've, you know, kind of made some changes across the offensive line. They moved Cordy Glenn to guard, and all of this is kind of for, you know, Bobby Hart at right tackle, which to me just seems crazy. So not a fan of those moves. And then the most intriguing is just, you know, Zach Taylor at head coach. How good can he be as a head coach? Was he just kind of, uh, you know, the, the meme of course has been, you know, well, if, you know, if you've done anything for, for Sean McVay, uh, you know, then you're going to get a head coaching job in this league. Is, is Zach Taylor just, a you know, a, a piece of that, uh, you know, Sean McVay coaching tree and, and he's not going to amount to much or, uh, is he really going to have something special on his hands and, and can he really make this offense in his image? So that's what I'm, I'm most interested to keep an eye on. Baltimore Ravens, favorite thing bar none was signing Earl Thomas. Disappointing to see Eric Weddle leave, uh, you know, and go to the Rams on such a cheap deal and then having to pay Earl Thomas so much. But, you know, Earl Thomas is the better player at this stage in their career. He's younger, more athletic, and he's just going to bring so much to that defense. And I think that was a, a really amazing signing for them. What I didn't really like for the Ravens was just not doing a better job addressing the receiver position and maybe just weapons in general. You know, when you've got a Lamar Jackson, you've got to bring in some veteran receivers who he can count on that he knows exactly where they're going to be. And I just didn't think they did a great job of that. Of course, they drafted Hollywood Brown, which I really, really loved. They signed Seth Roberts, drafted Miles Boykin. I just didn't think it was enough. They basically have Hollywood and, and Willie Sneed and then and then a bunch of questions. So I would have liked them to bring in just maybe a couple veterans uh, who maybe could have solidified that spot just a little bit more. Uh, But I am really, really excited about Hollywood Brown. So I don't want to give him too hard of a time, but I just thought that, you know, maybe with uh, Lamar Jackson at quarterback, they could have done a better job of getting him some weapons. And the most intriguing aspect of this team is just really seeing where this offense is going to be in in two to three years, maybe not in 2019, 2020, but with Lamar Jackson, Hollywood Brown, Miles Boykin, Justice Hill, some young, super fast, super athletic players on off. Offense. Speed, 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 and I'm excited to see where they're going to be able to go with that. Um, so we'll see going forward. Like I said, we'll, we'll probably see some of the returns this year um, on those those young players again. The three rookies in Hollywood Boykin and Hill, and the second year player in Lamar Jackson. But I'm, I'm more excited to see where that's going to go in the next you know two to three years going forward. For the Pittsburgh Steelers, my favorite aspect is is finally moving on from Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown, two ultra talented players that uh, you know just you know, wore out their welcome and it was just time to move on. Uh, you know, they, they performed absolutely fine on offense without Le'Veon Bell last year. They've got the next big superstar in Juju Smith-Schuster ready to step up, um, you know, with Antonio Brown being gone. So I think they're going to be just fine. And I think the lack of headaches that those two caused is going to be addition by subtraction. Didn't really like the three-year, twenty-five and a half million-dollar deal for cornerback Stephen Nelson. I'm not just a, a big fan of Stephen Nelson. I don't think he's going to bring a lot to the table. Just thought that overall that that the money could have been spent better elsewhere. We'll see how it turns out, but that would have definitely been a move that I wouldn't have made for the Steelers. And most intriguing is just Devin Bush. It's uh, seeing if he can solidify that inside linebacking core. Uh, you know, the Steelers have such a rich history at the linebacker position, and Devin Bush is in a position to be the next one in a great line of inside and you know just linebackers in general. So uh, I'm super excited to see how he's gonna turn out. I think he fits perfectly in that defense. He can get sideline to sideline. I think he's gonna be better in coverage than people expect. So I'm uh, just really excited to see and intrigued to see how that's gonna turn out. For the Houston Texans, this was a offseason that I was not a fan of at all. You know, the the best part is probably just franchising Jadavian Clowney and making sure that they get him back. But almost everything else, I wasn't a huge fan of, you know, giving Matt Matt Khalil any deal, much less a seven and a half million dollar deal to me was way too rich. Bradley Roby on a one-year $10 million deal. Yes, these are only one-year deals. They're not going to kill you, but uh, just overpaying for, for mediocre or worse talent. Not a fan of bringing in AJ McCarron. And then Ty. Titus Howard in the first round, good developmental player, but uh, just rich, you know, really, really rich for that uh, spot in the first round. So wasn't really a fan of anything else that they did. Um, From an intriguing standpoint, I did like the second round pick in Lonnie Johnson, and I am intrigued to see how quickly, you know, he can really, you know, pick up that defense and he's got a ton of tools, you know, super fast, super long and athletic and uh, just seeing if he can make an impact sooner rather than later because they need some impact players on that defense, Um, you know, in the secondary or. Even specifically at the cornerback position, really like Justin Reed at safety, and of course they got the pass rushers up front. But at the cornerback position, they need an influx of of young talent, and Lonnie Johnson can has the ability to be that. I'm intrigued if he can become that. The Tennessee Titans, my favorite move, and this is just an on field only. I'm not, uh, you know, really ever going to go into off field issues. But uh, Jeffrey Simmons was a, a player that, from an on field standpoint, I thought was, if healthy, a, a top three to four player in this draft, just dynamic on tape. And I think they got a really great player. And I thought it was so smart of them to, to take the really great player and, and worry about uh, the injuries later and, and give him time to develop and, and not just pass on him because maybe he has some injuries. Cause let's be honest. They're probably not competing for a Super Bowl this year anyway. So take the high upside player long-term. And uh, I think that's going to pay off for them. Deal I didn't like, four years, 36 million for Adam Humphreys. Uh, Just just rich for a slot receiver. I thought they could have done a better job of addressing that. I think they have some players on their roster who can play the slot as well. So I didn't think they needed to make that deal. He's a good player. He's going to help them, uh, but just a little bit rich for my blood. And then uh, I really am intrigued by Ryan Tannehill and the deal they made for him. And, uh, you know, Marcus Mariota hasn't exactly lit the world on fire in Tennessee. And Ryan Tannehill has talent. And I know he never worked out, uh, you know, exactly the way that was, you know, he was expected to in Miami. But I'm just intrigued if this is, uh, you know, something that eventually becomes, you know, where Mariota struggles and the team starts calling for Ryan Tannehill, could it be more of a curse than a blessing, uh, or could he legitimately get in the conversation and and maybe eventually, if if Mariota struggles, uh, you know, be the starting quarterback of this team? So uh, probably not. I think Mariota's is the guy, and I, I think Mariota's is the better of the two quarterbacks. But the the difference may be slim enough where it becomes intriguing as as time goes on. For the Jacksonville Jaguars, Jawan Taylor in in round two was an absolute no brainer. You know, being able to bookend you know Cam Robinson and Jawan Taylor, hopefully for the next you know in their case, hopefully for the next eight to ten years. Uh, I think that's just a, a really really great pick. I know he had some injury concerns. I know he was kind of a one year wonder this past year, but uh, I really like this pick in the second round. Like I said, just a no brainer. That was that was my favorite move that they made. Uh, no fault of the Jaguars, but the the biggest loss was losing Telvin Smith as he takes a year off from football and tries to get his life back together. Uh, Telvin Smith is an impact player for that defense. I know last year he didn't have the season that he or they would have liked and it sounds like he's got some things to work out in his life so maybe that played a part but uh, that's a big loss for that defense. Him and Miles Jack had the ability to be a phenomenal linebacking core for a long time and uh, losing him this year is a, a big big blow to that team and I'm most intrigued by Nick Foles. You know, Can he really be the answer at quarterback? For a while now I think a lot of us have just said, just put, you know, any decent quarterback with that team besides Blake Bortles and they're going to be really, really good. Well, we're going to find out if that's the case and if uh, Nick Foles can be that guy uh, or if if he was just a, a, you know, system quarterback in Philly and, um, you know, he, he doesn't, you know, ultimately solve their problems at quarterback. I don't like how much they paid him. I ultimately don't think he's going to be the long-term answer, but uh, it's intriguing nonetheless. For the Indianapolis Colts, this was another intriguing offseason, one that I wasn't a, a super huge fan of either. But uh, my favorite move was resigning Marcus Hunt. He had a really great year a season ago. I thought he was going to make some serious bank on the open, you know, on the open market, and he ended up only with a two-year, ten million dollar deal. So I thought they really got him on the cheap, and I think that's a really great signing for them. Devin Funchess, one year, thirteen million. And I know the, the defenders here; they're going to say, you know, the Colts had money to spend. They saw something in Devin Funches that they liked. They think if they put him in their offense instead of Carolina's offense and give the you know give him Andrew Luck that he's going to succeed at a much higher level. Uh, you know this was a player who you know coming out I really liked coming out of college. So th- there's certainly some upside there to this move, but one year thirteen million is just way 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 too rich for Devin Funchess for me. And you know hopefully for their sake it works out. Uh, certainly could, but uh, th- again that's just a move that I wasn't uh, a super huge fan of. And you know the most intriguing aspect is just how much Justin Houston has left in the tank. This team could use a really dynamic pass rusher off the edge and if Justin Houston can continue, you know, his stellar career in Indianapolis and maybe get uh, you know a little bit revitalized even from having uh you know from being on a new team playing on the fast track in Indy, that could be a really really great signing for the Colts and they really need him to be a great pass rusher and if they got that look out because uh, they've got a really strong team there in Indianapolis and I'm interested to see just how much he has left and if he can be that answer as a pass rusher for their team. For the Kansas City Chiefs, really, really loved getting Juan Thornhill at the end of round two. Um, you know, you guys I'm sure have, have listened to me on the podcast before talk about uh, how much I like Thornhill and I thought he had the opportunity to be a pick for the Packers at some point. Uh, but I, I just think that uh, he's going to be a really strong option for him. I think they're going to be able to team him with the Honey Badger at safety if they want to right away. Uh, just really love that pick and uh, just size, speed, strength, athleticism. And he already drew rave reviews from their rookie mini camp. So I'm uh, really excited to see what he's gonna bring to their defense on the flip side, I hate, hate, hate what they did with their edge position in this offseason. Basically trading away D Ford for a future second round pick, letting Justin Houston walk in free agency, then turning around and trading a first and second round pick for Frank Clark, signing Alex Okaford with a three-year $24 million deal. They also traded for Emmanuel Ogba. I get that they are going through a change in scheme on defense. But if that means that you've got to trade away or let go of your players for pennies on the dollar and then overpay to bring new players into that system, then you either have the wrong system or you made the wrong choice on what system you're changing to because they had two really good players in D Ford and Justin Houston. And to give up all of those assets and all of that money for Frank Clark and Alex Okerfer and to a lesser extent, Emmanuel Agba, just not a fan of that, that change in philosophy and in the direction that they went because Uh, To me, they could have had uh, the same players that they had. They would have been better off and they still would have had a first round pick, um, you know, at their disposal. So I hated how they, you know, maneuvered at the, the pass rush position this off season. And the thing I'm most intrigued by is just how this team overcomes for the losses of Kareem Hunt from a season ago. I know they've had some time to to make up for that already, but uh, Tyreek Hill as well. And, and who knows where that story ends. And again, not a topic I want to discuss here. But uh, they have the you know the unfortunate situation of having to potentially try to you know overcome the loss of both of those players and and how they do that. I thought they you know overspent for McCall Hardman in the second round of the draft, but you know he's a player that fits in their offense extremely well. So so time will tell, but how they have to replace those two players is going to be the most intriguing aspect of this upcoming season. For the Broncos, just really liked their overall draft. Noah Fant, Dalton Reisner, Drew Locke, Draymond Jones, Justin Hollins, Juwan Winfrey. These are all players that I really liked going in, save for maybe Drew Locke. Not a huge Drew Locke guy, but I like the fact that they got him in the second round. You know, he was talked about as maybe a top 15 pick at one point. Uh, this is a team that's in need of a quarterback, taking a flyer on him in the second round. He's got a big enough arm to play in Denver. Uh, you know, some of the, the weather conditions that they get there. So uh, I actually like that pick for the Broncos. So just their overall draft from, you know, first through seventh rounds. I just liked how they maneuvered it overall. And uh, again, picking up Noah Fant and Dalton Reisner, especially in the first couple of rounds, I think is gonna really help solidify their offense offense. Didn't like the trade for Joe Flacco, not going to lie. You know, They needed to get a quarterback. I get it. They, you know, they realized that Case Keenum wasn't going to be the answer for them. So they went in a different direction, which is fine. But, you know, Joe Flacco just perpetuates the problem and and kind of kicks the can uh, a little bit further down the line. And I know they think he can still play at a high level. Again, he's a player that fits within the offense and fits within, uh, you know, some of those weather conditions within Denver as well. But Joe Flacco has not played at a high level for a very long time and expecting him to come in and be the answer at quarterback in Denver. I think is foolhardy and that's again just why I really didn't like this move And then what's intriguing to me is Vic Fangio coming to this team and having Von Miller and Bradley Chubb at his disposal. I'm just so excited to see what he's going to be able to do with those two players. Can he bring Von Miller up even a whole nother level? We saw what he was able to do with Khalil Mack a season ago and a healthy Von Miller for a full season with Vic Fangio and with Bradley Chubb on the other side could be scary, scary, scary for opposing offenses in the AFC. So intrigued to see how that turns out. For the Chargers of Los Angeles really enjoyed the pick of Jerry Tillery in round one. Uh, I know he's got some question marks, uh, both, you know, from a a hustle standpoint. And uh, there were a couple, I think, off, you know, off-field questions as well. But uh, this is a player very similar to Chris Jones, uh, who, uh, you know, was picked in a very similar position uh, for the Chiefs just a couple of years back. And he's had a a really great start to his career. And I think Jerry Tillery is going to do something very similar. You know, you had him add him to a front with Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa. And uh, you've got the makings. of a really unique pass rush, and I'm excited to see what he's going to be able to do in the interior of that defensive line. What I didn't really like was just, you know, not upgrading the offensive line. You know, Philip Rivers has got to stay healthy and upright uh, in order to be successful. We know he's not the most fleet of foot of quarterbacks. So I would have liked the, to see them upgrade it just from a depth standpoint. You know, maybe Michael Schofield and Sam Tevy could have been upgraded a little bit. Even Russell Okung, long term, he's not getting any younger. So I would have liked to see them start developing some depth across the offensive line and maybe even some, you know, bringing in some players who could challenge some. Some of the starters, um, but they, they didn't really do that. And I thought that that was a lost opportunity. And I'm most intrigued by the pairing of Nasir Adderley and Derwin James at safety, both this year and long-term. Maybe Adderley is, uh, you know, got a, a year to, to learn a little bit, but those two should pair really, really well together. And I'm just excited to see how that's gonna turn out. For the Raiders, uh, I, I don't even know where to begin. I'll, I'll start by saying one move, and this is even a stretch for the move that I liked. You know they, they signed Tyrell Williams, the the wide receiver from the Chargers, and it was a four year, forty four million dollar deal, which is rich. But if you look at the contract, it really defaults to a one year, basically ten million dollar deal, which is much more fathomable uh, and much more easy to swallow. So uh, I actually was okay with that deal. I thought he brings uh, a speed element to their receiving core, and uh, just uh, overall like that deal. Not not anything that I was wowed by, but of all the moves they made, I guess that was my favorite. And then on, you know, on the downside, just what the hell are we doing here? Are we rebuilding? Are we playing to win now? Because you really have been very Jekyll and Hyde throughout the course of the last, you know, two off seasons from trading Khalil Mack uh, a season ago and and Amari Cooper to, you know, now bringing in Antonio Brown and Brandon Marshall and Trent Trent Brown and Vontez Perfect, Isaiah Crowell, LaMarcus Joyner. These are win now type of players, but then you've got three first round draft picks and you, you know, Overdraft Cleveland Farrell. You take a running back in the first round, which is to me just a huge no no. You know, even though I like Josh Jacobs, that was rich for him as well. Jonathan Abrams, a box safety, don't do that in the first round either. So, uh, just not a great draft. And then you're you're drafting run players. So Vonta's Perfect, or you're, I shouldn't even say drafting, you're either drafting or signing you know, players that are really focused on either run defense or helping your run on offense. Vontaze Perfect is a run defender. Jonathan Hankins is a run defender. Brandon Marshall at this point of his career is more of a run defender. Jalen Richard is a fullback. Josh Jacobs you drafted as a running back. And I know he's got a, a lot of abilities as a pass catcher as well, but you drafted a running back. And the first round. Jonathan Abram is a box safety. He's there really more to stop the run than in, in, than what he's known for with his coverage. So you drafted a lot of run players in a pass happy league. So just again, what the hell are we doing? It was a very Jekyll and Hyde off season. I would have loved for them if they're going to make the Khalil Mack trade, if they're going to make the Amari Cooper trade, you've got three first round picks, then let's do this thing. Let's rebuild the team. Let's get younger. Let's really build this team with young, talented players. They, they just, they, they couldn't make up their mind in what direction they wanted to go. And, you know, that's been a, a classic problem of John Gruden's is just trying to figure out if he wants to build a team for the future, or if he wants to build it for now. And he always seems to get caught somewhere in the middle. And I feel like this Raiders team is just, you know, classically in no man's land and exactly where they shouldn't be, uh, you know, based off of the moves that they made, they should have been able to build for the future. And they did not do that at all. And then the, the thing that intrigues me is just this entire experiment that is the Oakland Raiders. You know they've got two media guys and John Gruden and Mike Mayock who are in charge of this team. You know with John Gruden's you know ten-year deal, nine years left remaining, they should be able to you know think long-term and really build for the future. They haven't exactly done that. I'm intrigued to see how this goes. I love you know from just watching him. I love everything about Mike Mayock. Uh, He's certainly somebody that uh, you know I've certainly respected, and uh, I'm, I'm I was happy for him when he got the job. Uh, but uh, I'm just intrigued by this entire experiment and and seeing where where you know hiring Mayock and Gruden goes for this franchise as a whole. To me personally, it's it's not off to a great start. That brings us to the NFC. Let's start with the Dallas Cowboys. The the best move is getting Jason Witten out of retirement, not only so that they could have a good tight end on the field, but that so that they could get him out of the Monday Night Football booth. So thank you, Dallas Cowboys. I did not like their draft class as a whole. They brought in some good players: Tristan Hill, Connor McGovern, Tony Pollard, some players that I liked, but I just thought it lacked a marquee player. And uh, I thought this was a team that needed, uh, you know, a couple marquee players. I would have rather have seen them maybe try to move up in the draft a little bit, and get a higher end prospect, and and they didn't really do that. And then the thing that's most intriguing to me is is just Randall Cobb, how he fits in this offense and how he plays overall. You know, just as a longtime Packer, I'm I'm really interested to see, uh, you know, how he. He, how he plays within this offense? Does he get a little bit of a boost playing outside of the Mike McCarthy system, you know, playing on the fast track in Dallas? I'm just interested to see how that goes and, and certainly wishing Randall Cobb the best of luck as long as he's not playing against the Packers. For the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, my favorite move, and and this will probably be of no, you know no surprise to anyone that's listened to me, is uh, Andre Dillard replacing you know Jason Peters long term. You know picking him up in the first round. The fact that they get to mold him for a year, develop him. You know we know tackles have a usually tough first year coming into the league. So the fact that they get some time to develop him, and then you know probably this is Jason Peters last off season or last season, um, and now they have that you know player already on the team who's going to be able to come in and. Start and I think start for them and be very successful for a really long time. Didn't really hate anything from the Eagles this offseason, but Ronald Darby at one year 8.5 coming off an ACL injury is just a little bit steep. I still think he can be a good player and I think he fits within that defense, but probably just a little bit too rich for me uh, again coming off of an injury. But um, I think they're going to be okay there again. I didn't hate anything and I'm just really intrigued to see how Deshaun Jackson is going to fit back in Philly. Love him with Carson Wentz. I think pairing him with Alshon Jeffrey is perfect. Uh, So that's just a a move that I think uh, Tampa shouldn't have made, uh, that the Eagles were great to make. And uh, I think he's going to really increase their offense. And I'm excited to see how that's going to turn out as well. For the Washington Redskins, Dwayne Haskins uh, I'm not a huge fan of I'll be honest uh, he was not a quarterback that uh, I had really a first round grade on but a lot of people did and this may come as a shock to some people but uh, I'm not always 100% right on my evaluation so a lot of people really love Dwayne Haskins and I really do love the fact that they were able to just stand pat uh, pick him at pick what is it 17 or wherever they were picking middle of the first round and you uh, really get a quarterback they needed a quarterback with Alex Smith's injury and uh, they were able to just stay 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 where they were and kind of get their guy. So uh, again, while I wasn't a huge fan of Dwayne Haskins, uh, you know, from a, um, you know, scouting standpoint, how I viewed him, I thought this was a good pick for the Redskins. And uh, I'm hoping that he turns out for them because they could certainly use a break at the quarterback position with uh, what they've had to kind of go through with Alex Smith. So uh, wishing them the best of luck there. The the move I really didn't like, however, was Landon Collins. Six years, 84 million. This is another one of those of well, you know, what are we doing here? You have to recognize that, you know, with all the injuries you've had at quarterback and where this team is at right now, you're not competing for a Super Bowl this year, probably even next year. So why are we signing Landon Collins to this huge deal? He's more of a box safety, he's not really a, a cover one type of guy. He's not really great in coverage. So we're massively overpaying for a guy who does his best work in the box. He is not the modern day safety that that most teams are going to be looking for. So uh, yeah, you get him out of New York, you get him out of a a divisional rival and you bring him to your team and he's a good player. No mistake about it. He was what almost defensive player of the year either was, or was almost defensive player of the year, just a couple years back. So, um, you know, he's a very good player, but this was an overpay for a a non-marquee position. And I think they would have been better off using that money in a different direction or just kind of saving it for the future when maybe they will be contending. And then I'm just intrigued by the quarterback battle, you know, going into this off season. Uh, You know, Haskins, Keenum, and Colt McCoy. Of course, they trade for Case Keenum. Colt McCoy's the the holdover. And then Haskins, the rookie, you know, who who immediately grabs the reins, who's ready to take over. You know, for me with with those quarterbacks, you know, give Haskins the reins early and and let's see what he can do. Uh, But I'm I'm interested to see how that plays out. For the Giants, uh, you know, for them, you know, where with the Browns, I didn't like the Odell trade. For the Giants, I I kind of did. And I I know that, again, that this is kind of hot takey because I know a lot of people hated it for the Giants and loved it for the Browns. Uh, But uh, I did did like this move for the Giants. Again, they're a team that they're keeping Eli at quarterback. So they're, they're not ready to compete anytime in the near future. And uh, again, I liked the haul that they got for him. You know, they were able to pick up Jabril Peppers, Kevin Zeitler, pick 17, pick 95 for Odell Beckham and Olivier Vernon. And I just like the young players that they they were able to acquire, um, you know, and the young talent that they were able to acquire for a player who's kind of been a little bit of a headache for them. And if they realized that they didn't want that in their locker room anymore, and they wanted to move on, then I I think they, they got good value uh, for, the trade. So, you know, didn't hate this uh, for the Giants. In fact, like I said, it was one of my favorite moves to the offseason for them, uh, just because I think it is a little bit of addition by subtraction. And, uh, you know, I was at the Packer Giants game a couple years ago, and uh, this was in the, you know, Ladarius Gunter type phase, and I, the Packers doubled them a lot, no questions asked. They they put a safety over the top a ton on him, but, you know, he wasn't able to do much and, you know, get a ton going, and he, he kind of has those ebbs and flows within the season where you see him break out and just have these highlight level plays and highlight level games. And he looks like the best receiver in the league, bar none. And then he, you know, kind of goes stagnant for a little, you know, a little bit at times as well. So, so again, like this trade for the Giants and, and thought they got good value for, for, for moving on from Odell once they decided to make that decision. However, with that 17th pick and their other two first round picks, uh, getting a return on investment of three first round picks of only Daniel Jones, Dexter Lawrence and DeAndre Baker uh, just wasn't, wasn't good enough for me. And uh, you know, if they love Daniel Jones, then by all means, you know, take him at pick six and and don't don't hesitate. If that's your guy, go get him. Uh, he was not my guy and and not somebody that I would have spent that pick on any stretch of the imagination. But uh, he's got some talent. He's got some upside. He has uh, you know some flashes on tape where he looks like Peyton Manning or Andrew Luck. Uh, they're just few and far between, and I think. You know He comes into a good position where he gets to learn under Eli Manning, or I don't know how much he's gonna learn from Eli Manning, but uh, he gets some time to develop, let's put it that way, while Eli Manning still has the reins to this team. So I think he's in a good position, but uh, just having a return on investment of three first-round picks of Daniel Jones, Dexter Lawrence, and DeAndre Baker just just wasn't enough for me. Daniel Jones is the player, though, that I'm I'm most intrigued by. Like I said, while while I didn't have a first-round grade on him and, and six is really, really rich for me, uh, I, I do think that he, he, again, he has some talent and I'm excited to see what he's going to be able to become. I'm cheering for him just because I didn't like him doesn't mean I'm not cheering for him. And uh, I hope he becomes the upside player. Um, I, th- I think if he doesn't, New York is going to eat him and Dave Gettleman alive. Uh, probably they should eat Dave Gettleman alive if this pick doesn't, doesn't pan out because he was ultra aggressive in making that move. But certainly it's the most intriguing aspect of the offseason for them. That brings us to your Green Bay Packers. Uh, The best move to me was finally fixing the safety position. They went into last season with HaHa Clinton-Dix and Kentrell Bryce and Josh Jones and Jermaine Whitehead. And it was just a nightmare. And they didn't have, to me... Uh, a player that really solidified that safety position. And now they potentially have two in Adrian Amos and Darnell Savage and just kind of completely remaking that safety position. They still have Tremont Williams if they want to use him back there in a pinch. I do like Raven Green as a developmental player as well, but fixing that safety position and getting Amos and Savage was to me the biggest aspect of this offseason and the biggest win for the Packers. Could make a strong argument for the edge position as well with Gary and Smith and Smith. Um, certainly wouldn't argue against that in any way, shape, or form, but uh, I thought fixing safety was was the best move of the offseason for Green Bay. Biggest question mark for me was Billy Turner, four years, $29.5 million. He, he's already gotten good reviews from Aaron Rodgers. He's going to be the starting right guard. It's technically in this day and age, it's not even bad money for uh, a starting right guard in this league. And if he has the ability to kick out and maybe take over at right tackle next year for Brian Bulaga, I get their thinking on this. Um, From what I saw on tape It's okay. It's not great. It's an overpay, Um, but he did play better as the year went along and as he finally got full-time starting reps with a team in Denver last year. So fits the scheme. Again, he's already drawn some positive reviews from Aaron Rodgers. So uh, it's not a a brutal move by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but it's maybe the one that I question the most. And then the most intriguing, and this shouldn't be a surprise, I don't think to anyone, is just Matt LaFleur you know, this is a a new head coach for the first time in a very long time. How does he meld with Aaron Rodgers? You know, how do those two, you know, how does Rodgers fit within a new offense? How do those two get along? So on and so forth. It's just such an intriguing aspect. He's a head coach for the very first time. And uh, just how good he can be as a head coach is going to determine so much of the future of this franchise. So no question that's the most intriguing. For the Minnesota Vikings, uh, the biggest win for them, and this kind of goes back, this isn't just a, just this offseason thing, but they've found a way to really re-sign everyone, even with giving Kirk Cousins that big deal, they've re-signed Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen and Daniil Hunter and Everson Griffin and Anthony Barr, uh, Xavier Rhodes, Harrison Smith, you know, there was a lot of question marks and there was always the feeling that they were going to lose one or two of those guys and they didn't. They found a way to keep them all. And uh, that really came to fruition when they, they got Barr back this offseason as well. So kudos to them, even with that big contract for the quarterback, they were able to get everyone to resign and uh, keep the core of that team together. But my downside for them is overpaying for Anthony Barr and, uh, you know, good on them for getting him back, but they paid a lot of money to do so. And I, You know, listen, they they were competing against the Jets who were paying him as an edge rusher and they pay him as an off-ball linebacker who has his ups and downs, hasn't been consistent. He's a good player, no question about it. Uh, But they basically paid him kind of edge rusher, free agent money to play off-ball linebacker. and, And that's why that move is questionable to me. And then the, the most intriguing aspect is just how long they can continue to play these salary cap gymnastics. This is a huge season for Minnesota. Uh, it's going to get harder and harder and harder to keep the core of this team together with, with Kirk Cousins contract and all the money that they gave to those players that I just mentioned. They're not going to have a lot of flexibility moving forward. So this is, uh, this is not a make or break season for Minnesota, but, um, you know, kind of the writing's on the wall. If you kind of look at their cap in the future as well, they need to, to, to really make an impact now with this core that they have together Uh, because if they can't do it now, it's going to get harder to do it going forward. So I'm just intrigued to see, again, uh, how good they can be right now and just how long they can continue to play those salary cap gymnastics for. For the Chicago Bears, my favorite aspect of their offseason was drafting David Montgomery in the third round. I don't think they would have needed to had they just kept Jordan Howard in the first place, but uh, they didn't have a ton of draft capital and getting a player the caliber of David Montgomery in round three, I think is is still going to help their offense and is going to probably be a pain in the ass for the Packers for the foreseeable future. So really like that move for the Bears on the flip side you know replacing Adrian Amos and in Bryce Callahan with Haha Clinton Dix and Buster Screen these are two clear downgrades you know I don't care what any Chicago Bears fan or um you know media person or personality wants to say uh, these are two pretty big down downgrades on the defensive back position and you know, if Haha Clinton Dix can play like he did a couple of years ago and uh maybe fit in with this defense a little bit better than he, than he did in Green Bay, it's a cheap deal, right? It's it's not a huge issue for them if, if he doesn't pan out as expected. He's he's got some upside and it's a cheap deal. So I understand what Bears fans will say here, but what I will counter with is the one thing that you want with that defense in in the back of that defense, you've got a playmaker in Eddie Jackson already. You've got solid corners. You've got playmakers up front and Akeem Hicks and Khalil Mack. The one thing you need is just a solid player at the back end of that defense. And what I mean by that is somebody who's very assignment sure, who's not going to give up big plays because everyone else is going to do their job at a very high level in front of you. You just clean up the trash, be a sure tackler. And again, don't give up those big plays and you've got what you exactly what you need. And you can find that player for a cheap price. Bring in a high risk, high reward guy in HaHa Clinton-Dix, not necessarily as a player, but on a play-by-play basis, yeah, he's probably going to get, you know, three or four big turnover plays for them this year. And it's it's going to be, uh, you know, probably, you know, well celebrated by the Bears in that defense and good for them, but he's going to give up some huge plays too. And that's, again, that's just the one thing that defense doesn't need. So I uh, really didn't like those moves for the Bears. And then I'm really intrigued by Cordero Patterson as a hybrid player in Matt Nagy's offense. Talk about a really fun chess piece as a running back or receiver or returner, he's going to fit perfectly there and, and again, be another player who's probably a pain in the ass for the Packers going forward. Detroit, I'm, I'm happy to say, didn't really love their offseason. Um, Amani arurie I'm probably saying that name wrong, but really was a player I liked, had a second, early second round grade on as a corner coming out of the draft and they got him in the fifth round and it would not surprise me if he started early in this season. So really like that pick in the fifth round for the, for the Lions and um, think he can be a player for them going forward. You could certainly make an argument for TJ Hawkinson or Trey Flowers here as well, both super talented players that I really, really, really like, and certainly would have been a fan if, if the Packers picked either either of them up, either via the draft or free agency. But uh, you're you're picking a, a tight end in the top 10 of the draft, which is super rich, and you're giving a massive deal to Trey Flowers. So they gave up a ton of assets to get those two players, which is why they weren't my favorite moves, but still noteworthy nonetheless. Did not love giving up four years, $36 million for Justin Coleman as a slot corner. Uh, just don't think that he has anywhere near that value. Uh, good luck to them, you know, <laughs> with that deal. I think Green Bay is going to be able to pick on that position a little bit, but I thought that was really, really rich and I'm happy that they made that deal. And then the thing I'm most excited about or intrigued by is is TJ Hawkinson. Um, I, I think he... He can be such a great player. Um, you know, he goes into a a, a team who and a coach with Matt Patricia who wants to fill the the role of Rob Gronkowski with that team. And uh TJ Hawkinson's not gonna be Rob Gronkowski, but he's gonna be a hell of a player and I'm I'm just intrigued to see just how high his ceiling can be. That brings us to the New Orleans Saints. And my favorite pickup for them was Jared Cook. And I just think in that offense with Sean Payton and Drew Brees, uh, they are gonna use Jared Cook to the best of his abilities. He came off one of the best seasons of his career as a Raider last year, even for a Raiders team that it wasn't exactly explosive on offense. So I think he's going to be a great pickup for the Saints. I think he is going to be, you know, one of those tight ends that they always seem to get the most out of, whether it was a, a Benjamin Watson later in his career. Jimmy Graham obviously had the best years of his career as a New Orleans Saints. Uh, you know, tight ends can, you know, really do work within that Sean Payton offense. And I don't think Jared Cook's going to be any different. And I expect him to have a really big season. You know they of course had the unexpected situation come up where Max Unger retired a little bit out of nowhere, and they were kind of under the gun a little bit to try to find a replacement. And, and I think they did that a little hastily by signing Nick Easton, which to me was an overreaction. They they signed him to a four year, twenty four million dollar deal, which was really expensive for a player who was never much more than you know below average as a Minnesota Viking, and he's coming off of injury. Uh, just a just a bad deal in my opinion. They kind of made up for it then by drafting Eric McCoy in the second round, but that kind of almost makes the deal a little bit worse because now, now they don't even need him quite as much. So uh, that was a bad deal. They just overpaid for a, a less than mediocre player. And uh, I think that's you know gonna be a deal that they regret. But uh, again, I love the fact that they picked up Eric McCoy in the second round. I think they're still gonna be able to be good at center. And the, th- the nice thing about Easton is he can play guard or center. So he has some positional versatility and should be a good depth piece no matter what, but uh, just an overpay for a not great player. And I'm most intrigued by Chauncey Garner-Johnson. You know, a lot in the a lot of people in the draft community were really high on Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, thought he was going to be a first or second round pick. He last to pick 105 in the fourth round. I think the Saints got an absolute steal. I think he's going to fit in their defense really well. Uh, he, he's got the size. He's got the coverage ability. He's got the speed. So uh, I think, like I said, I think he's going to fit in really well with the defense. And uh, I think they got an absolute steal in Chauncey Gardner-Johnson in the fourth round. The thing for the Atlanta Falcons that I really liked is that they attacked the offensive line position. They knew it was a position of need and they made no qualms about it and they attacked it aggressively. They picked up Jamon Brown, James Carpenter in free agency, uh, both pretty solid deals. They picked up Chris Lindstrom with pick 14, Caleb McGarry with pick 31. So two free agent signings, two first round draft picks all for that offensive line, and they are very much hoping that that's going to pay dividends. So I love the fact that they recognized that they had an offensive line that had question marks, and they attacked it, both in free agency and the draft, both for now and in the long term. However, I'm going to flip that on its head, and it's also my least favorite aspect of their offseason because... I didn't really like the players that they brought in. Jamon Brown and James Carpenter were both overpays for, again, players who were average at best players throughout their career. It's not like one or two years. They've been in the league a while and they've never been that good. So I thought they paid you know, overpaid for both of them. Chris Lindstrom liked him, you know, liked the pick at 14 and he really, really fits well within the zone blocking scheme. He's gonna be a dynamic guard for a long time, but a guard at 14 who isn't necessarily a mauler. He's a solid, but not spectacular. Pass protector, Uh, just a little bit of a you know rich pick for me at 14, and really didn't like Caleb McGarry at 31. Uh, Again, I thought he was more of a second or third round player. Um, You know, hopefully for them, he turns out to be a really dynamic right tackle, and uh, he he's got a lot of ability. But uh, I thought they had the ability to pick up Cody Ford and Andre Dillard instead of Lindstrom and McGarry, and that would have been a much better direction to go in. And I thought there were better free agents out there that they could have signed Quentin Spain. I thought was on the same level as those players for much, much cheaper. So I just didn't like the players that they actually used, even though I liked the fact that they were aggressive in trying to upgrade the offensive line. And then the intriguing aspect to me is what happens with Grady Jarrett. You know they're paying him the franchise tag this year, fifteen point two million for a defensive tackle who's really really good. I love Grady Jarrett, but they got to figure out a long term deal, not you know not paying him quite as much, or you know maybe figure out a trade or something because uh, that's a big chunk of money to be playing a player on the interior of the defensive line. And I'm sure Grady Jarrett would like a long term deal. And I, I just think the Falcons really need to get that portion of it figured out. For the Carolina Panthers. Drafting Brian Burns in the first round, I mean, this is a massive blessing that he fell to the Panthers because they needed somebody to go hunt the quarterback and they got maybe to me the best quarterback hunter in this draft. He's relentless. He can bend around the edge. He's explosive. He knows how to finish. Uh, Just a phenomenal pick for a team that desperately needed that type of player coming off the edge for them. Um, And then they really kind of went with my least favorite aspect at one pick later, one round later, uh, picking up Greg Little in the second round. You know, he's good on tape. And uh, this is very similar maybe to Orlando Brown for the Ravens from a season ago, who had a really good tape at Oklahoma, but then just bombed the combine. And I think Greg Little maybe has a little bit in that as well, where his tape's good, his combine's not as good. He probably should have stayed in school one more year. A little rich for me, you know, where they took him in the second round. Not a brutal pick by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, definitely richer than what I would have liked to have seen, you know, Greg Little go at. And I think Carolina could have just done a little bit better there early in round two. And the most intriguing pick to me is then in round three. So uh, round one, two, and three is the best, worst, and most intriguing. That's Will Greer. And Will Greer was a really interesting study. I did the Cheesehead TV draft guide for quarterbacks and initially i wasn't a huge fan he runs himself to you know he runs himself into a lot of pressure and a lot of sacks on his own he needs to do a better job of staying in the pocket uh, but he's dynamic you know he certainly does make some plays as well kind of dancing around the pocket he doesn't have the strongest arm in the world but he makes some throws and i mean he makes some throws if you want to talk about just you know tight ball accuracy he might have been the best quarterback in this draft with making some ridiculous throws and putting it right where the receiver needed it, so I really like this pick in the third round, especially. Uh, there's some some tools that he lacks, and uh, he may never be, uh, you know, even if he develops in a perfect situation, he may never be a top 15 quarterback in this league. But I think he has some starting traits, and with Cam Newton coming towards, you know. Maybe the end of his career. That's, that's probably premature to say when Tom Brady's, you know, well into his forties. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's, he's starting to break down a little bit. And, uh, that playing style that he plays with is, is going to cause you to have a little bit more wear and tear in your body. And if anyone can take it, Cam Newton can. But, uh, I think this was a really great pick in the third round and one I'm interested to keep an eye on going forward. For the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, my favorite aspect was hiring Bruce Arians. And uh, that also is my most intriguing aspect. I'll, I'll cover both of them at, at once. Is just, can he save Jameis Winston's career? Because, uh, you know, Jameis Winston, first overall pick in the draft, this is really the last chance. Can Bruce Arians save Jameis Winston? I love the fact that they brought him in uh, to kind of be that guy that can maybe, you know, rejuvenate his career, rejuvenate this offense. And, you know, a lot of people might say, listen, you know, Todd Monken in this offense a year ago was really, really good. Um, and really came up with some creative stuff, and that's true. But a lot of it was with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Early, they kind of ebbed and flowed a little bit. Had some ups, had some downs. Uh, Jameis Winston never really, you know, had that you know breakout moment yet in his career. So I'm I'm intrigued and excited to see what Bruce Arians is going to do with the Tampa Bay Bucks. And then the thing I didn't like, and I kind of mentioned this earlier, was just trading Deshaun Jackson away. They got pennies on the dollar. He wanted to leave, so they were kind of behind the eight ball, but just really didn't didn't enjoy that move for them, especially with, again, trying to rejuvenate this offense and trying to get, uh you know, James Winston playing at a high level. For the San Francisco 49ers, how often can you have one off season where you completely revitalize your edge position by getting a D Ford and a Nick Bosa in the same off season? And they did absolutely that. I love the fact that they didn't have to give up a ton for D Ford. Uh, you know, I know they gave up a future too, but that that's not brutal. And, uh, you know, with Nick Bosa, you know, picking him up and having him be available there. I know he's had some injuries already, which isn't a great sign, but he, you know, he should be just fine by, by the time the season starts. And I think they did a great job of a uh, addressing the edge position and that's going to give, you know, DeForest Buckner and Solomon Thomas and those guys a much better opportunity, you know, even to be better on the interior, which is a scary thought as well. And they have the makings of a phenomenal, uh, you know, front uh, pressure group. So uh, good on the 49ers for their moves there. Didn't really like Quan Alexander at four years, 54 million. I know that he really fits well within what the NFL is looking for at the linebacker position, but he's kind of went downhill uh, since his rookie year and uh, you know where he exploded on the scene. He's had injury issues. So uh, this was a rich move. They had the money to spend and uh, it could still work out for them, but uh, I, I wasn't a huge fan of that deal And then the most intriguing aspect, and I've mentioned this in the past as well, but getting Debo Samuel in the second and Jalen Hurd in the third, both of those players fit Kyle Shanahan's offense to a T. And those are going to be chess pieces for his offense. Debo is going to be a dynamic slot receiver. Jalen Hurd is going to be used all over the place. And uh, that's a a scary weapon pairing for, for Kyle Shanahan and what he's going to be able to do with both of them. That's when you talk about pairing your draft philosophy with your scheme philosophy, that's a perfect example of that. They picked up two players who fit that scheme perfectly and they didn't hesitate, you know, going two weapons and back to back rounds in the second and third. And I think that's going to pay off going forward. Brings us to the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, This probably probably won't be a hot take, probably won't be a surprise. DK Metcalf in the second round, my favorite aspect of their draft. You know, I always thought DK Metcalf in the top 15, 20, maybe even top 10 where some people were talking was way too rich, way, way, way too rich. And uh, I just didn't see that type of player on tape. I thought he had the injury question marks. You know, he basically only ran a few routes. I think if you look at some of the top receivers in this league, they're artists. And what I mean by that is it's their footwork and their route running ability. It's not necessarily always the the speed and the strength. You look at a player like Devontae Adams who has some really great physical traits, but he's an artist at his position. Stephon Diggs, same thing. Antonio Brown, same thing. It's the, the artists at that position that really succeed. but Man, talk about a freak athlete that all of a sudden now lasts until the end of the second round. Now we went too far in the opposite direction. And and it's crazy that DK Metcalf lasted that long in the draft and really went to the perfect spot because Russell Wilson is one of the best deep ball throwers in the entire league. Now they lose Doug Baldwin to injury. They need a receiver. This kid's gonna start day one and he's gonna be a dynamic playmaker. And I love the fact that they got him late in round two. And I think that the rest of the NFL is really gonna regret that, and I think the Seattle's going to absolutely love it. I, the, the biggest question mark here is the same question mark we've had with Seattle for years now, and that's the offensive line. And yes, they they picked up DJ Fluker and Mike Ayupati, uh, some veteran players who can fill in at guard, but no long-term answers at the offensive line position. Neither of these players are even really great short-term answers. So you got to upgrade this offensive line position. They didn't do it again. And I have some serious question marks about the long-term health of Russell Wilson if they do not find some players to adequately protect for him. And the, the most intriguing aspect is just how they respond to losing Doug Baldwin. This was a, a really great leader for them, you know, on the field, off the field. He did so much as a player. Uh, again, another artist at the position, just a really great route runner, always found ways to get open. Of course, they picked up DK Metcalf as we discussed, but he's going to be a tough player to replace and how they do that will go a long way in determining their season. The Arizona Cardinals talk about a team with an interesting offseason. My favorite aspect, uh, picking up Marcus Gilbert from the Steelers for a 2019 sixth round pick. They're not paying him a ton. A really solid offensive lineman. He, he's not... You know, get a wow a lot of people, but I think that was a really solid pickup. I think he's going to fit the offense and uh, just a a player who uh, probably should have went for a little bit more than a sixth round pick in a in a cheap contract. So you know, I, I think they kind of got caught stealing a little bit there from the Steelers and and good on them for doing it. Uh, not a a fan of a ton of what the Cardinals did this uh this off season. So uh, picking up Marcus Gilbert on the cheap was one of the things I, I did like and and good on them for making that move the worst was just the entire handling of the quarterback situation. And and I want to play this out here because I think it's really interesting because I think teams make the mistake a lot of times of just assuming that when they drafted a player in the top 10, that he's the guy and that no matter what happens going forward, he has to be the, the guy, even if he didn't Really perform as expected in his first year, now, I don't think that's the case of what happened with Josh rosen. I don't think they can adequately evaluate what Rosen did based off of last year and the team that he had. He didn't even get a full season, so that's why I don't like this move, but i I do give them some kudos. It's the most important position in all of sports, and if they thought they had a guy in Josh Rosen who is maybe okay and they think they have a guy that has the ability to be great in Kyler Murray then I'm okay with what they did. But just how they handled this entire thing, even just going back last year to aggressively trading up for Josh Rosen because he was their guy. To not really giving him any chance with the team that he had a season to go, not even giving him a full season to then up, trying to upgrade the quarterback position, telling Josh Rosen he's going to be the guy, he's practicing with the team the week before the draft, and then you know picking picking up Murray and then trading uh, Rosen for pennies on the dollar for a late second round pick. It's it's just not a great look overall and no one's going to care if if Murray's the guy if if Kyler Murray comes out and is one of the, the you know top 15 to 20 quarterbacks this year and one of the top 15 to 10 quarterbacks going forward you know No one's going to care. No one's going to care one bit. Even if Josh Rosen uh, goes out and has a solid career, if Kyler Murray's even a little bit better, people will forget about it and never have any qualms about it. But just how they handled the entire thing was really, really poor. And that was my least favorite aspect of their offseason. And the most intriguing is just how Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray match up together. Can this air raid system work in the NFL? They've got the players and the pieces that they need on offense with Kyler Murray and uh, a lot of their new receivers, Andy Isabella being one of them. Uh, you know and uh, Hakeem Butler being another to go out and succeed David Johnson's going to run you know hopefully wild for them in this offense so uh, I'm intrigued on how this is going to work out and it's going to be certainly a great case study going forward but uh, this is a a coach who got fired from his college position a season ago and a a quarterback who's all but playing baseball, you know, expected to play baseball up to this point a season ago. So, what a really crazy, you know, year for those two. And now they're they're the future of this franchise, and and it's certainly super interesting as we watch this. And like I said, a great case study going forward. And last but not least, the Los Angeles Rams best deal: Eric Weddle, two years, twelve point five. It's cheap, it's great. He's going to solidify the back end of that defense, and just really like what they did there. My least favorite, Clay Matthews. It's not brutal. It's not bad. Um, Just my least favorite, you know, two years, $16.75 is is a little rich for a player that's on the downside of his career. If you watched his tape last year, he took a big step back from 2017 to 2018. I really liked Clay's tape in 2017. I really disliked his tape in 2018. So... I thought he was on the decline and he goes into a great position. You know, he's gonna be able to be more of a rotational guy, hopefully playing thirty to thirty five snaps a game rather than fifty to sixty to seventy snaps a game. So I, I think that's gonna elongate maybe his career a little bit and um again I like I like the situation he's going into, but I think they overpaid for him just a little bit, unfortunately. And then lastly, uh, the thing that most intrigues me is just these tackle prospects. So they picked up Bobby Evans in the third round, David Edwards in the fifth round, they're gonna to have to replace Andrew Whitworth next offseason. He almost retired this offseason. He didn't. He said he'd stick around for one more year, but they've got a big gaping hole at left tackle going forward. Can either Bobby Evans or David Edwards be the answer to that question? Certainly probably neither are gonna play up to Andrew Whitworth's level, but if they can even get a solid starter out of the, you know, out of one of those two at left tackle, not this year but next year, that's gonna be a big win for this Rams franchise and, and certainly again something to keep an eye on. That does it for my entire Breakdown of all 32 teams: the best, worst, and most intriguing move for every single team this offseason. I hope you enjoyed it. That does it for me today. Make sure to hit me up on Twitter at Sports. I'm sure you agreed with every single one of my takes for all 32 teams. But by some off chance, if you disagreed with one or two minor things, uh, make sure to hit me up, uh, shoot me a message, or uh, you know, reply to me on on Twitter and uh, tell me what things I got wrong and uh, maybe some of your moves that you thought were better or worse or or maybe more intriguing. So I'd love to hear from you as well. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Packaday Podcast. You can always uh, respond to anything that we have there and give us ideas, send us messages. Our DMs are open, so tell us how awesome we are. We would love to hear that. And uh, always make sure to give us some high ratings and uh, tell us how you're feeling on your favorite podcasting station as well. Those ratings really go a long way. And if you haven't subscribed already, we really appreciate it also. A small update for myself. I'm going to be doing some work for Pro Football Network this season. I'm really excited to join that team. If you aren't following them already, make sure to do so. You can follow them on Twitter at PFN365. They're doing a lot of exciting stuff. Tony Pauline, if you're not familiar with, with his draft work, he's one of the best in the business and he's going to be joining the team this season as well. So we've got a lot of exciting things happening. Certainly not changing all the work that I'm doing for Cheesehead TV or any of the other stuff that I do. So no worries there. I'll still be podcasting and doing all my writing for Cheesehead TV like I always do, but this is just another venture that I'm really excited to pick up and uh, work with going forward. So make sure to follow them again on Twitter at PFN365. Make sure to check out Dan, Matt, and Janelle tomorrow, but until next time, and as always, Go Pack Go!
0: One kick away from the NFC Championship game from the 41. Left half spot, 51 yard, field goal attempt, snap, placement, kick, to the upright, hit.
2: Green Bay Packers. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium?